Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, December 12th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state economist has cautioned lawmakers about a possible downturn in revenue next year. From the Gulf States newsroom, data shows the hottest neighborhoods in Jackson are ones that have been historically discriminated against. Plus, we speak with the state auditor about how Mississippi could strengthen the Open Meetings Act. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The labor market has grown nationally over the past year, but Mississippi is just one of two states that didn't see any growth in total non-farm employment between October 2022 and October of this year. That's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Mississippi's labor participation rate is at 53.5%, the lowest in the nation, much lower than the national rate of 62.7%. State economist Corey Miller tells our Will Stribling this is an issue he's examining. Normally, when we make a recommendation to the Joint Legislative Budget Committee, we being the revenue estimating group, they normally keep the estimate from the end of the previous session, the the Sinodai estimate, Um, and that's what they were doing this time. Uh, We had recommended an estimate for the current fiscal year it was about 117 million or so above that. So I was not surprised that they kept the sign of die estimate because that's what they usually do. And we made a estimate for the upcoming fiscal year, fiscal year 2025, which they voted to adopt, but the the governor did not agree to because they did not change the estimate for the current fiscal year, fiscal year 2024. All other states are experiencing year-over-year job growth, but Mississippi is not. You know, what, How would you explain that, and what does it say about the future of the state's economy? We have seen a slowdown in, in growth in, in, all, in most states. Uh, Mississippi has, according to the latest information from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, has slowed uh, more than other states. We're basically at the same level of employment we were uh, this time a year ago. But... Last year, there was a considerable data revision. BLS updates their employment data uh, once a year for all states, and our number was among the majority of states that got uh, an upward revision. So that could happen again this year. 
we'll have to wait and see until about March of, of next year when they, they do the final revisions uh, to see what our employment really looked like for, for this year. Um, but going forward, I, you know, I do expect us to see a slowdown in, in job growth, uh, not, in, not just in Mississippi, but expected nationwide. Uh, Mississippi will probably slow more than other states uh, just because of the structure of our economy. Manufacturing jobs are a bigger portion of our, our labor force in Mississippi, and those tend to decrease more when you have an environment of of high interest rates and and just an overall slowing economy. So uh, I expect uh, employment in Mississippi will probably uh, slow a bit more than than the the rest of the nation. Yeah, and other than employment slowing, how do you expect these these higher interest rates to affect the um the state's economy overall, you know, on, on one hand, you know, it means things like you know, this, we get more return on the state's investments, but then it also, you know, fewer people are buying a house or a car, it slows consumer spending. So how do you do all of this to come together overall to affect the, the state's economy? Right. That, and that's by design from the Federal Reserve uh, point of view. They're trying to, or they have been trying to uh, reduce inflation for almost two years now and raising interest rates is the main way they have to do that uh, by raising those interest rates. Obviously, you make all kinds of borrowing more expensive. Uh, people tend to borrow less when, obviously, interest rates are higher, so that slows in things like the housing market that are particularly uh, sensitive to uh, interest rates. Buying new automobiles, that tends to slow that as well. Um, in Mississippi, another reason the, the manufacturing uh, sector tends to, to slow is because of a period of higher interest rates. Manufacturing companies and also construction companies have to make large purchases that they have to finance over time for equipment and facilities and, and other purchases, and that, that, that tends to slow those down. So that's one reason we expect the economy to slow more in Mississippi, because manufacturing is a bigger part of our economy compared to uh, mo- more states. Legislative leaders have talked about cutting the grocery tax during the next legislative session. How do you think such a cut would affect consumer spending in Mississippi and just in the, and the state's budget? Because we have the you know the largest grocery tax in the nation. Well, obviously, if you cut the uh, grocery tax, you would see a reduction in revenue. Um, the effect it would have on the on the state's economy would be it would increase uh, consumer spending a little bit because that would that would you know, reduce the, the cost they're paying on food, it would probably impact people at the, the lowest income levels the most because they spend a bigger percentage of their total income on food. But uh, overall, most people, the amount they spend on food doesn't vary that much from, from year to year. So we would expect some positive effects uh, on the economy. But those would probably be relatively small. And I just want to hear your thoughts on the state's economy overall, you know, from now looking back on the pandemic and the, you know, the major disruption that it was, and then now, you know, dealing with inflation and all that, just how are you feeling about the, the state of the of, of Mississippi's economy overall? I think we held up uh, very well coming out of the pandemic for two or three reasons, one being we opened up uh, more quickly than some states. And uh, this, the pandemic recession was very different than the typical recession in that it was mostly hit by the service 
sectors, that tended to work in our favor because normally in a recession, it's those production sectors like manufacturing and others that uh, tend to be hit the hardest. So I think in this particular case, uh, Mississippi was not uh, hit as hard because of that. Uh, going forward, we've, I think we're getting back to a more normal type of economic uh, situation in Mississippi. We're seeing um, some slower growth, uh, both in terms of the economy overall as measured by gross domestic product and, and in our labor market. So I think you know, going forward, I think we'll see relatively slower growth than we saw you know, in the year or so coming out of the pandemic. Anything else that, that you're keeping an eye on that has jumped out to you, both statewide and nationally, just like what's <laughs> what's got what's keeping you up at night right now? Uh, one of the things we've been looking at is our labor force participation in Mississippi. It has really not come back uh, the level it was prior to the pandemic, which it would probably be lower than it was you know, almost four years ago just because of, of demographics. But the U.S. labor force participation rate has come back more much more so than in Mississippi. So that's something um, we're, we're looking at, trying to understand uh, why that it hasn't come back more than it has. You said you're trying to understand, so I know you don't have any definitive answers, but there are any clues, any ideas that, that y'all have about why this is the case? I mean, there's some general statements, you know, uh, coming out of, the, out of the pandemic. You had uh, people who retired early and haven't come back to the uh, labor force. You've had uh, people who may have left the labor force to care for kids or relatives during the pandemic who who haven't come back. But beyond you know that kind of speculating, we we don't have a, a really good sense of of why it's lower in Mississippi than other states uh, as far as the recovery in, in our labor force participation rate. Corey Miller is the state economist for Mississippi. Coming up from the Gulf States newsroom, data shows the hottest neighborhoods in Jackson are ones that have been historically discriminated against. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Curling up on the couch near the fireplace? MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and Autocorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays. Thanks to our sustaining members who provide ongoing monthly financial support. You can become a sustainer too. Go to mpbonline.org and click Donate Now at the top of the page. There's useful information for you on MPB Think Radio's local programming this morning. Personal finance is the focus on Money Talks at 9. At 10, there are discussions of your legal rights on in legal terms. Relatively Speaking has advice on maintaining good relationships with friends and family at 11. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. 
For the past three years, Jackson has been looking for solutions to urban heat islands. Those are places in the city where temperatures are higher because buildings and roads absorb heat. Data shows the hottest areas in Jackson are usually near neighborhoods that have been historically discriminated against. Danny Author with the Gulf States Newsroom heads to one green infrastructure project designed to cool an iconic part of the city. See the main entrance, the fountain of Farish, the fountain on Farish. As you walk along this historic neighborhood, there are a lot of markers that point towards its origins. The African art gallery and gift shop. It was built by people that came out of slavery. There's a funeral home, people's funeral home. Within the confines of Jim Crow laws, they carved out a prosperous black community that lived and worked on Ferris Street. But there's a direct link between that early segregation and practices like redlining to problems this neighborhood is dealing with today. It's much hotter than some other neighborhoods in the region. It's a heat island. Fair Street community members, business owners, climate activists, and architects have been meeting to address this with the city's urban planning department. Hello, everyone. Including Alex Lawson, who is the chair for the Jackson Redevelopment Authority. But before I get to that, I do want to, like I said, take a quick step back. Um, have I shown this group this map before? This group of about 20 looks at a map that illustrates the areas of the United States that have more economic mobility, a.k.a. people's chances of improving their economic status. Most of the Gulf South, including Mississippi, is colored red. That means there's a lower chance of getting out of poverty here. You can sum up most of my life with this map. My goal, my solitary objective is to change this map. In Jackson, if you look at that economic mobility data next to the city's heat index, it becomes clear pretty fast that most of the places in town that get the hottest are also the poorest. Um, And this is what people are flocking from Jackson from. This is what they are fleeing. As climate change intensifies, marginalized communities like Ferris Street often don't have the resources to adjust. But that could change here soon. Tusi, Mississippi, a climate advocacy group, got federal funding to plant trees and shrubbery on Ferris Street. It's not just for making the neighborhood look pretty. It helps reduce temperatures in cities by providing shade, deflecting sun radiation, and releasing moisture. Frank Figures, a veteran civil rights advocate in Jackson, sees the project as a small part of a big picture strategy of improving the lives of people on Ferris Street. And lowering the temperature could mean saving the life of people or reducing their energy bill and having more money to spend on good food. It's it's connected. This project comes at a time when Jackson and Mississippi overall are experiencing some of the hottest temperatures on record. Under the Inflation Reduction Act, billions have been dedicated to climate action. 2C Mississippi got a small sliver of that one and a half million dollars. And they used it to push projects like this one forward. The heat island mapping campaign was carried out in 2020 in the middle of pandemic. Dominica Perry founded 2C Mississippi. She says they partnered with the city of Jackson to collect this data and then started hosting community meetings to design a green space to hopefully help lower the temperature in the Ferris Street district. But the process has had its hiccups. Today's meeting was supposed to be the one where they approved a final design. 
But recently, the city said the land from one of those parcels is actually going to a group of businesses who want to set up shop on Ferris Street. So the group has to go back to the drawing board. And people are upset. I prefer the original. I'm going on record saying I really like it the way it was, not, not the way it changed. Still, Perry says it is important to get the support of Ferris Street community members since it's their project. And so during the meeting, folks hash it out again and decide on a different plan. Once they hope will still meet the requirements for the federal funds and keep them on schedule. They're supposed to get funding at the beginning of 2024, so they can start clearing land and planting in the fall. Dorothy Davis is the president of a community group that represents those who can't make it to the meetings. Even with the changes, Davis is hopeful about what the plan could mean for Ferris Street. She's grown up here, and she sees this project and all the efforts to revitalize Ferris Street as bringing back its historic legacy. I guess this means me going back to my childhood <laughs> because you lived, worked, eat, uh, worship, and died all on Ferris Street because we even have two funeral homes on Ferris Street. So it was from beginning to ending. She wants this project to be a blueprint for what other cities can do to help their own marginalized communities. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Danny McArthur. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Up next, we speak with the state auditor about how Mississippi could strengthen the Open Meetings Act. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. There's useful information for you on MPB Think Radio's local programming this morning. Personal finance is the focus on Money Talks at 9. At 10, there are discussions of your legal rights on In Legal Terms. Relatively Speaking has advice on maintaining good relationships with friends and family at 11. Connect with the people looking to connect with you. Become an underwriter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash more slash underwriting. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. If this is a busy season for you, I suggest you multitask. While you're driving to Grandma's, listen to MPB on the radio. While wrapping presents, have MPB local shows playing on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to MPB Think Radio, however you listen. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The state auditor is highlighting his policies and his priorities less than a month away from the beginning of the state legislative session. The proposals range from a more robust Open Meetings Act to providing financial incentive for people who are willing to disclose fraud in their organization or a Mississippi state agency. White says the important decisions being made at the Capitol and within agencies must be transparent. 
interesting feature of our Open Meetings Act right now. A local government, for example, has a secret illegal meeting. They violate the Open Meetings Act, and they, they make a decision behind closed doors out of the view of the public. The Ethics Commission may come in and say, hey, wait, no, y'all violated the Open Meetings Act. That was an illegal meeting. But the decision that was made in that secret meeting, that decision can still stand. So you might have a local government that, that enters into a garbage contract in a secret illegal meeting. Uh, the Ethics Commission could say, nope, that was illegal, but the garbage contract still stands. To me, that makes no sense at all. So what I'm advocating for this year is let's strengthen that Open Meetings Act. Let's say if somebody has an illegal secret meeting, they are not allowed to keep the decision that they made. That decision that they made is null and void, and if they want the decision to stand, they're going to have to go back out in public, and they're going to have to do uh, the formal process out in public to, to actually go through the, the public hearings to make that decision stand. Well, that has been an issue in the legislature because they've had private caucus meetings where decisions are made, and that's that. What would happen that well, in, in that, that instance? The Ethics Commission has actually ruled in that case that, that the caucuses are not public bodies. Now, you, you might disagree with the Ethics Commission's ruling in that case, but they've, they've said that that's not a, a public body. So that's not exactly the same thing as, a, as an obvious public body like a city council doing something that violates the Open Meetings Act. Now, you know, if, if the Supreme Court comes in and says, no, the Ethics Commission is wrong and, and those caucus meetings are, are public bodies, well, then this law would apply to them as well. But, but as it stands right now, to the best of my understanding, based on where that case is, the Ethics Commission has said that's not a public body. Okay, you say decisions are made behind closed doors would be voided. Is that retroactive? It depends on how the legislature ends up writing this statute. Um, usually we don't write statutes to be retroactive. So in, in most cases, the legislature will write statutes that say, you know, from this day forward, X is the law. Um, but they have the flexibility to, to shape it however they want. So, uh, so that's one of those things that, that uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how the legislature writes it and see what the outcome is. This would be for every local body. Who would be encompassed in this legislation? The way we have drafted it right now would be every public body. So that's that's every board of supervisors, that's every city council, that's that's anybody in law that's considered a public body. Would there be any disciplinary actions should this occur? There are some disciplinary functions already in the Open Meetings Act. Um, and the, to the best of my understanding, the Ethics Commission can enforce those. The attorney general can enforce those. Really, what I was focused on this time is strengthening the fact that the decisions that get made behind closed doors should not stand. So that's that's where I've got my emphasis this time. And, and of course, if the legislature wanted to strengthen those disciplinary functions of the law, they could definitely do that. Okay. Next one. You've been talking um, publicly about wanting to change some qualifications or some designations for who gets funding for going to college, namely programs that will benefit industry within the state. Yeah, so that's exactly right. What I said is I think we need to be smarter about how we're spending money at our universities. And I think we need to be funneling taxpayer money to the degree programs that actually fit Mississippi's economy. And for those degree programs that are producing graduates who don't have skills that fit our economy, 
then the universities can fund those on their own with their privately raised dollars. But I don't think that the taxpayers should pay for those. So, for example, just to give you a really quick one, anthropology majors. Anthropology is an interesting field. It's great. But if you look at the data, most of the kids who graduate with anthropology degrees immediately leave Mississippi because there's just not a ton of jobs for anthropologists here in the state of Mississippi. The ones that do stay don't make a great living either. So what I said is, well, look, why don't we spend our money on the degree programs that are preparing people for jobs here so that we actually get a return on the investment so that somebody who finishes a degree program in Mississippi has a shot to stay here, build wealth here, raise a family here, pay taxes here. We actually get something back as a taxpayers for that investment. And, and so to get there, I've asked the legislature to create a commission. It doesn't have to be Shad White dictating what majors are good and what majors are bad. I, I've never called for that. What I've called for this time is let's create a commission of economists, of workforce experts, of people who, who understand our economy and understand higher education. Let's let them craft a proposal for how dollars, taxpayer dollars, should flow if we're going to send them to, to high-value degree programs that actually fit our economy. And then let's supercharge our university system and those degree programs so that we can we can produce the graduates we need here and grow our economy. All righty. Shad White, Mississippi State Auditor, thank you so much for sharing what your plans are, your goals are for this upcoming legislative session. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.